Book fourteen of the Iliad of Homer, rendered into English blank verse by Edward Earl of Derby. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Your reader, Michael Armenta. Argument Juno deceives Jupiter by the girdle of Venus. Nestor, sitting at the table with Machaon, is alarmed with the increasing clamor of the war, and hastens to Agamemnon. On his way he meets that prince with Diomed and Ulysses, whom he informs of the extremity of the danger. Agamemnon proposes to make their escape by night, which Ulysses withstands to which Diomed adds his advice, that, wounded as they are, they should go forth and encourage the army with their presence, which advice is pursued. Juno, seeing the partiality of Jupiter to the Trojans, forms a design to overreach him. She sets off her charms with the utmost care, and, the more surely to enchant him, obtains the magic girdle of venus she then applies herself to the god of sleep and with some difficulty persuades him to seal the eyes of jupiter this done she goes to mount ida where the god at first sight is ravished with her beauty sinks in her embraces neptune takes advantage of his slumber and succours the greeks hector is struck to the ground with a prodigious stone by ajax and carried off from the battle several actions succeed till the trojans much distressed are obliged to give way the lesser ajax signalizes himself in a particular manner nor did the battle-din not reach the ears of Nestor. O'er the wine-cup, and his speech, he thus addressed to Esculapius's son. Say, good Machaon, what these sounds may mean, for louder swells the tumult round the ships. But sit thou here, and drink the ruddy wine, till fair-haired hecamedes shall prepare the gentle bath and wash thy gory wounds while i go forth and all around survey he said and from the wall a buckler took well wrought with brass resplendent which his son brave thrasymedes in the tent had left while with his father's shield himself was girt a sturdy spear too tipped with brass he took without the tent he stood and there his eyes a woeful sight beheld the greeks in flight the haughty trojans pressing on their rout confused the greeks protecting wall o'erthrown as heaves the darkling sea with silent swell expectant of the boisterous gale's approach nor onward either way is poured its flood 
until it feel the impelling blast from heaven. So stood the old man, his mind perplexed with doubt, to mingle in the throng, or counsel seek of mighty Agamemnon, Atreus's son. Thus, as he mused, the better course appeared to seek Atrides. Fiercely fought the rest with mutual slaughter. Loud their armour rang with thrusts of swords and double-pointed spears. There Nestor met, advancing from the ships, the heaven-born kings Ulysses, Diomed, and Agamemnon, son of Atreus, all by wounds disabled, for the ships were beached upon the shore, beside the hoary sea, far from the battle. Higher toward the plain, the foremost had been drawn, and with a wall their sterns surrounded, for the spacious beach could not contain them, and in narrow bounds were pent their multitudes. So high on land they drew, and ranged them side by side, and filled within the headlands all the wide-mouthed bay. Thus they, their steps, supporting on their spears, together came, spectators of the fight. Deep sorrow filled their breasts. Them Nestor met, the fear increasing, which their souls possessed. To whom the monarch Agamemnon thus. O Nestor, son of Neleus, pride of Greece, why comest thou here and leavest the battlefield? Greatly I fear that noble Hector now his menace will fulfill, who made his boast before the assembled Trojans, that to Troy he never would return, until our ships the flames had mastered, and ourselves the sword. Such was his threat, and now he makes it good. Heaven, can it be that I, of other Greeks as of Achilles, have incurred the wrath who thence refuse to battle for the ships? To whom Gerenian Nestor thus replied, Such are indeed our prospects. Jove on high could to our fortunes give no different turn. The wall is raised whereon our trust was placed to guard, impregnable, ourselves and ships. And now, around the ships, their war they wage, unceasing, unabated. None might tell, by closest scrutiny, which way are driven the routed Greeks, so intermixed they fall, promiscuous, and the cry ascends to heaven. But come. Discuss we what may best be done, if judgment aught may profit us. Ourselves to mingle in the fray, I counsel not, 
it were not well for wounded men to fight. Whom answered Agamemnon, king of men? Nestor, since to the ships the war is brought, nor hath the wall availed to stay their course, nor yet the deep-dug trench on which we Greeks much toil bestowed, and which we vainly hoped might guard impregnable ourselves and ships seems it the will of saturn's mighty son that far from argos from our native land we all should here in nameless graves be laid i knew when once he loved to aid the greeks but now i see that to the blessed gods our foes he equals and our strength confounds hear then my counsel let us all agree the ships that nearest to the sea are beached to launch upon the main till nightfall there to ride at anchor if that e'en by night the trojans may suspend their fierce assault then may we launch in safety all the fleet no shame it is to fly although by night impending evil better so to fly than by the threatened danger be overtaken to whom with scornful glance ulysses sage what words have passed the barrier of thy lips thou son of atreus counsellor of ill would thou hadst been of some ignoble band the leader not the chief of such a host as ours on whom from youth to latest age jove hath the gift bestowed to bear the brunt of hardy war till every man be slain and think'st thou so to leave the lofty walls of troy the object of our painful toil be silent that no other greek may hear words which no man might trust his tongue to speak who nobler counsels understand and wields a royal sceptre and the allegiance claims of numbers such as those that own thy sway thy counsels all i utterly condemn who mid the close and clamour of the fight wouldst have us launch our ships and give the foe already too triumphant cause renewed for boasting then were death our certain lot for if the ships be launched not long will greeks sustain the war but with reverted eyes shrink from the fight to such pernicious end would lead thy baneful counsels mighty chief whom answered agamemnon king of men ulysses thy rebuke hath wrung my soul yet never meant i that against their will the sons of greece should launch their well-found ships but if there be who better counsel knows or young or old 
his words would please me well. Then rose the valiant Diomed, and said, The man is near at hand, nor far to seek, if ye will hear, nor take offence, that I, the youngest of you all, presume to speak. Yet of a noble sire I boast me sprung, Tydeus, who sleeps beneath the Theban soil, to Portheus, Three brave sons were born, who dwelt in Pleuron, and in lofty Caledon, Agrius and Melas, bravest of them all, my father's father, Aeneus, was the third. He there remained, my father, wandering long, to Argos came, such was the will of Jove, and of the immortals all. He there espoused Adrastus's daughter, owned a wealthy house with fertile cornlands round, and orchards stored with goodly fruit trees. Numerous flocks he had, and all the Greeks in feats of arms excelled. Hear ye the words I speak, for they are true, and if my speech be wise, despise it not as one of worthless or ignobly born? Though wounded, to the battle I advise, that we perforce repair, yet not ourselves to join the combat or confront the spears, lest wounds to wounds be added, but to rouse the spirits of some who, zealous heretofore, now stand aloof nor mingle in the fray, he said, and they his words approving went, by Agamemnon led the king of men. Nor careless was the watch by Neptune kept, with them in likeness of an aged man. He went, and Agamemnon, Atreus's son, by the right hand he took, and thus addressed, O son of Atreus, great is now the joy which with Achilles' savage breast is filled, who sees the slaughter and the rout of Greeks. But not he has of heart, no, not a whit, but perish he, accursed of the gods. Nor deem thou that to thee the blessed gods are wholly hostile. Yet again the chiefs and counsellors of Troy shall scour in flight the dusty plain, and from the ships and tents thine eyes shall see them to the city fly. He said, and loudly shouting onward rushed, as of nine thousand or ten thousand men in deadly combat meeting is the shout. Such was the sound which from his ample chest the earth-shaker sent, and every Greek inspired with stern resolve to wage unflinching war. Standing on high Olympus's topmost peak, the golden-throned Juno, 
downward looked, and, busied in the glory-giving strife, her husband's brother and her own she saw, saw and rejoiced. Next, seated on the crest of spring-abounding Ida, Jove, she saw, sight hateful in her eyes, then pondered deep the stag-eyed queen, how best she might beguile the wakeful mind of aegis-bearing Jove. And, musing, this appeared the readiest mode, herself with art adorning, to repair to Ida, there with fondest blandishment and female charm, her husband to enfold in love's embrace, and gentle, careless sleep around his eyelids and his senses pour. Her chamber straight she sought, by Vulcan built, her son, by whom were to the doorposts hung close-fitting doors with secret keys secured, that, save herself, no god might enter in. There entered she, and closed the shining doors, and with ambrosia first her lovely skin she purified, with fragrant oil anointing, ambrosial, breathing forth such odours sweet, that waved above the brazen floor of Jove, all earth and heaven were with the fragrance filled. O'er her fair skin this precious oil she spread, combed out her flowing locks, and with her hand wreathed the thick masses of the glossy hair, immortal, bright, that crowned the imperial head. A robe, ambrosial, then, by palace wrought, she donned, in many a curious pattern traced, with golden brooch beneath her breast confined, her zone, from which a hundred tassels hung, she girt about her, and in three bright drops her glittering gems suspended from her ears, and all around her grace and beauty shone. Then o'er her head the imperial goddess threw a beauteous veil, new-wrought, as sunlight white, and on her well-turned feet her sandals bound. Her dress completed, from her chamber forth she issued, and, from the other gods apart, she called to Venus, and addressed her thus. Say, wilt thou grant, dear child, the boon I ask? Or wilt thou say me nay, in wrath, that I espouse the Greek, as thou the Trojan cause? To whom the laughter-loving Venus thus. Daughter of Saturn, Juno, mighty queen, tell me thy wish, to grant it if my power may aught avail, thy pleasure shall be done. To whom great Juno thus, with artful speech. Give me the loveliness 
and power to charm, whereby thou reign'st o'er gods and men supreme. For to the bounteous earth's extremest bounds I go, to visit old Oceanus, the sire of gods, and Tethys, who of yore from Rhea took me, when all-seeing Jove hurled Saturn down below the earth and seas, and nursed me in their home with tenderest care. I go to visit them, and reconcile a lengthened feud, for since some cause of wrath has come between them, they from rites of love and from the marriage-bed have long abstained. Could I unite them by persuasive words, and to their former intercourse restore, their love and reverence were for ever mine. Whom answered thus the laughter-loving queen? I ought not, and I cannot say thee nay, who liest encircled by the arms of Jove. Thus Venus spoke, and from her bosom loosed the broidered cestus, wrought with every charm to win the heart. There love, there young desire, there fond discourse, and there persuasion dwelt, which often thralls the mind of wisest men. This in her hand she placed, as thus she spoke, Take thou from me, and in thy bosom hide this broidered cestus, and whate'er thy wish, thou shalt not here ungratified return. Thus Venus smiled the stag-eyed queen of heaven, and smiling in her bosom hid the gift. Then Venus to her father's house returned, but Juno down from high Olympus sped, o'er sweet Amathia and Pyria's range, o'er snowy mountains of horse-breeding Thrace, their topmost heights she soared, nor touched the earth. From Athos then she crossed the swelling sea, until to Lemnos, Godlike Tossus' seat she came. There met she sleep, twin born with death, whom, as his hand she clasped, she thus addressed. Sleep, universal king of gods and men, if ever thou hast listened to my voice, grant me the boon which now I ask and win my ceaseless favour in all time to come. When Jove thou seest in my embraces locked, do thou his piercing eyes in slumber seal. Rich guerdon shall be thine, a gorgeous throne, immortal, golden, which my skilful son Vulcan shall deftly frame, Beneath a stool whereon at feasts thy feet may softly rest. Whom answered thus the gentle god of sleep? Daughter of Saturn, Juno, 
mighty queen on any other of the immortal gods i can with ease exert my slumberous power even to the stream of old oceanus prime origin of all but saturn's son imperial jove i dare not so approach nor sink in sleep save by his own desire already once obeying thy command a fearful warning i received that day when from the capture and the sack of troy that mighty warrior son of jove set sail for circumfused around with sweet constraint i bound the sense of aegis-bearing jove while thou with ill design rousing the force of winds tempestuous o'er the stormy sea didst cast him forth on coas's thriving isle far from his friends then jove awaking poured his wrath promiscuous on the assembled gods me chief his anger sought and from on high had hurled me plunged beneath the unfathomed sea but night the vanquisher of gods and men her fugitive received me he his wrath repressed unwilling to invade the claims of holy night and now thou fain wouldst urge that i another reckless deed assay whom answered thus the stag-eyed queen of heaven why sleep with thoughts like these perplex thy mind think'st thou that jove as ardently desires to aid the men of troy as fiercely burned his anger on his valiant son's behalf grant my request and of the graces one the youngest and the fairest have to wife pasithea whom thy love hath long pursued thus promised juno sleep rejoicing heard and answered thus swear then the awful oath inviolable by the stream of styx thy one hand laid upon the fruitful earth the other resting on the sparkling sea that all the gods who in the nether realms with saturn dwell may of our solemn bond be witnesses that of the graces one the youngest fairest i shall have to wife pasithea whom my love hath long pursued he said nor did the white-armed queen refuse she took the oath required and called by name on all the titans sub-tatarian gods then sworn and ratified the oath they passed from lemnos and from embrus veiled in cloud skimming their airy way on lectum first in spring abouting ida nurse of beasts the sea they left and journeyed o'er the land where waved beneath their feet 
the lofty woods. There sleep, ere yet he met the eye of Jove, remained, and mounted on a lofty pine, the tallest growth of Ida, that on high flung through the desert air its boughs to heaven, amid the pine's close branches lay ensconced. Like to a mountain bird of shrillest note, whom gods the Calchas, men the night-hawk call. Juno, meanwhile, to Ida's summit sped, to Gargarus, the cloud-compeller saw. He saw, and sudden passion fired his soul, as when their parents' eyes, eluding first, they tasted of the secret joys of love. He rose to meet her, and addressed her thus. From high Olympus, Juno, whither bound, and how, to Ida hast thou come in haste? For horses here, nor chariot hast thou none. To whom thus Juno with deceitful speech replied, To fertile earth's extremest bounds I go, To visit old Oceanus, the sire of gods, And Tethys, who of yore received and nurtured me with tenderest care. I go to visit them, and reconcile a lengthened feud, for since some cause of wrath has come between them, they from rites of love and from the marriage-bed have long abstained. Meanwhile, at spring abouting Ida's foot, my horses wait me, that o'er the land and sea alike my chariot bear. On thine account, from high Olympus hither have I come, lest it displease thee, if to thee unknown I sought the ocean's deeply flowing stream. To whom the cloud-compeller thus replied, Juno, thy visit yet a while defer, and let us now in love's delights indulge, for never yet did such a flood of love for goddess or for mortal fill my soul. Not for Ixion's beauteous wife, who bore Pyrethous, sage in council as the gods, nor the neat-footed maiden Danae, the Croesus's daughter, her who Perseus bore, the observed of all, nor noble Phoenix's child, who bore me Minos, and the godlike might of Radimanthus, nor for Semele, nor for Alcmena fair, of whom was born in Thebes the mighty warrior Hercules, as Bacchus, joy of men of Semele, no, nor for Ceres, golden-tressed queen, nor for Latona, bright, nor for thyself, as now with fond desire for thee I burn. To whom thus Juno, with deceitful speech, 
What words, dread son of Saturn, dost thou speak? If here, on Ida, in the face of day, We celebrate the mystic rites of love, How, if some other of the immortal gods Should find us sleeping, and mid all the gods Should spread the tale abroad, I could not then straight to thy house, or very shame, return. But if indeed such passion fill thy soul, Thou hast thy secret chamber, built for thee by Vulcan, With close-fitting doors secured. Thither, if such thy pleasure, go we now. To whom the cloud-compeller thus replied, Juno, nor fear the eye of God or man, For all around us I will throw such veil of golden cloud, That not the sun himself with sharpest beam of light May pierce it through. Thus saying, in his arms he clasped his wife. The teeming earth beneath them caused to spring the tender grass, and lotus dew besprent, crocus and hyacinth, a fragrant couch, profused and soft, upspringing from the earth. There lay they, all around them spread a veil of golden cloud, whence heavenly dews distilled. There, on the topmost height of Gargarus, by sleep and love subdued, the immortal sire, clasped in his arms his wife, reposed in peace. Then sleep arose, and to the Grecian ships, in haste repairing, to the earth-shaking king his tidings bore, and standing at his side, Thus to the god his winged words addressed. Now, Neptune, to the Greeks thy ready aid afford, That short-lived triumph they may gain, While slumber holds the eyes of Jove. For I, in sweet unconsciousness, Have drowned his sense, beguiled by Juno, in whose arms he lies. He said, and vanished mid the tribes of men, but fired with keener zeal to aid the Greeks, Neptune sprang forth in front and called aloud, Again, ye Greeks, shall our remissness yield the victory to Hector? Priam's son, to seize our ships, and endless glory gain? Such is his boast and menace, since in wrath Achilles still beside his ships remains. Yet him we scarce should miss, if we, the rest, but firmly stood for mutual defence. Hear then my counsel, let us all agree, Girt with our best and broadest shields, Our heads with flashing helmets guarded, 
in our hands, grasping our longest spears, to dare the fight. Myself will lead you on, and Priam's son, though bold he be, with fear with me to cope. And if among our bravest any bear too small a buckler, with some meaner man let him exchange, and don the larger shield. He said, and they assenting heard his speech. The kings themselves, Ulysses, Diomed, and mighty Agamemnon, Atreus's son, though sorely wounded, yet the troops arrayed. Throughout the ranks they passed, and changed the arms, the bravest donned the best, the worse, the worst, when, with their dazzling armour all were girt, forward they moved. The earth-shaker led them on. In his broad hand an awful sword he bore, long-bladed, vivid as the lightning's flash. Yet in the deadly strife he might not join, but kindled terror in the minds of men. Hector, meantime, the Trojan troops arrayed. Then fiercer grew and more intense the strain of furious fight, when Ocean's dark-haired king and Priam's noble son were met in arms and aided, this the Trojans, that the Greeks. High toward the tents uprose the surging sea, as with loud clamour met the opposing hosts. Less loud the roar of ocean's wave, that driven by stormy Boreas breaks upon the beach. Less loud the crackling of the flames that rage in the deep forest of some mountain glen. Less loud the wind, to wildest fury roused, howls in the branches of the lofty oaks. Then rose the cry of Trojans and of Greeks, as each with furious shout encountered each. At Ajax first, who straight before him stood, great Hector threw his spear, nor missed his aim where the two belts, the one which bore his shield, his silver-studded sword the other, met across his breast, these two his life preserved. Hector was wroth that from his stalwart hand the spear had flown in vain, and back he sprang for safety to his comrades' sheltering ranks. But mighty Ajax Telamon, upheaved a ponderous stone of many all around that scattered lay beneath the warrior's feet and served to prop the ships with one of these as hector backward stepped above the shield he smote him on the breast below the throat with whirling motion circling as it flew the mass he hurled as by the bolt of heaven uprooted prostrate lies some forest oak the sulphurous vapour taints the air appalled 
bereft of strength, the near beholder stands, and awe-struck hears the thunder peal of Jove. So in the dust the might of Hector lay. Dropped from his hand the spear, the shield and helm fell with him. Loud his polished armour rang. On rushed with joyous shout the sons of Greece, in hope to seize the spoil. Thick flew the spears, yet none might reach or wound the fallen chief. For gathered close around the bravest all, valiant Aeneas and Polydamus, godlike Agenor, and the Lycian chief Sarpedon, and the noble Glaucus stood. Nor did the rest not aid, their shields broad orbs before him still they held, while in their arms his comrades bore him from the battlefield, to where, with charioteer and well-wrought car, beyond the fight his flying coursers stood, which bore him deeply groaning toward the town. But when the ford was reached of Xanthus's stream, broad-flowing, eddying, by immortal Jove begotten, on the ground they laid him down, and dashed the cooling water on his brow. Revived, he lifted up a while his eyes, then on his knees, half-rising, he disgorged the clotted blood, but backward to the earth, still by the blow subdued, again he fell, and darkling shades of night his eyes o'erspread. Onward with zeal redoubled pressed the Greeks, when Hector from the fields they saw withdrawn. Foremost of all, Oileus's active son, with sudden spring assailing, Satnius slew. Him a fair naiad nymph to Enops bore, who by the banks of Satnius kept his herds. Him then approaching near, Oileus's son thrust through the flank. He fell, and o'er his corpse Trojans and Greeks in stubborn fight engaged. But Banthus's son, a swift avenger, came, Polydamus, with brandished spear, and struck through the right shoulder Prothoenor, son of Ariolycus. Right through was driven the sturdy spear. He, rolling in the dust, clutched with his palms the ground. Then, shouting loud, thus with triumphant boast, Polydamus. From the strong hand of Panthuus's noble son, Methinks that not in vain the spear has flown. A Greek now bears it off, and he, perchance, may use it as a staff to Pluto's realm. Thus he, the Greeks with pain his vaunting heard, but chief it roused the spirit within the breast of Ajax Telamon, whom close beside the dead had fallen. 
he at Polydamus retreating hurled in haste his glittering spear, but springing sideways scaped the stroke of fate. But young Archilochus, Antenor's son, received the spear, for heaven had willed his death. The spine it struck, the topmost joint, where met the head and neck, and both the tendons broke. Forward he fell, and ere, or knee, or leg, his head and mouth and nostrils struck the ground. Then Ajax, in his turn exulting, thus, Say now, Polydamus, and tell me true, May this be deemed, for Prothoenor's death, A full equivalent? No common man he seems, And born of no ignoble race, Valiant Antenor's brother, Or perchance his son, The likeness speaks him near akin. Thus he, though well he knew, Then bitter grief possessed the Trojans' souls. But Acamas, guarding his brother's body, With his spear slew the Boeotian Procamus, Who fain would by the feet have drawn away the dead. Then Acamas, exulting, cried aloud, Ye wretched Greeks, in boasting measureless, not ours alone the labour and the loss of battle. Ye too have your share of death. Behold where lies your Procamus, subdued beneath my spear. Not long unpaid the debt due for my brother's blood. Tis well for him who leaves a brother to avenge his fate. Thus he. The Greeks with pain his vaunting heard, but chief it roused the spirit within the breast of Peneleus. On Acamas he sprang, who waited not the encounter. Next he slew Ileanus, the son of Phorbus, lord of numerous flocks, of all the Trojans most beloved of Hermes who his wealth increased. To him Ileanus, an only son, his mother bore, who now beneath the brow and through the socket of the eye was struck, thrusting the eyeball out. For through the eye, and backward through the head, the spear was driven. With hands extended, down to earth he sank. But Peneleus, his weighty sword, let fall full on his neck. The severed head and helm together fell, remaining, still infixed, the sturdy spear. Then he, the gory head, uplifting, to the Trojans vaunting, cried, Go now, ye Trojans! 
forbid that in the house of brave Ilenius his parents raise the voice of wailing for their gallant son, as neither shall the wife of Procamus, the son of Elegenor, with glad smile her husband's coming hail, when home from Troy we, sons of Greece, with victory crowned, return. Thus, as he spoke, pale fear possessed them all, each looking round to seek escape from death. Say now, ye nine, who on Olympus dwell, who, when the earth-shaker turned the tide of war, first bore away his foemen's bloody spoils, Great Ajax Telamon first Hurtius smote, the son of Gertius, who to battle led the warlike Mycians. Next Antilochus, from Mermerus and Falces, stripped their arms. Oriones, Hippotian gave to death, and Morris. Teucer, Periphetes slew, and Prothoon, Menelaus through the flank smote Hipparinor, as the grinding spear drained all his vitals. Through the gaping wound his spirit escaped, and darkness closed his eyes. But chiefest slaughter of the Trojans wrought Oileus's active son. Of all the Greeks no foot so swift as his, when Jove had filled their souls with fear to chase the flying foe. End of Book 14